Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Unpacking Articles within Unpacking Language Pedagogy. The article we're going to unpack today is a book chapter called Communicative Language Teaching, Current Status and Future Prospects. And this article offers an overview of key aspects of communicative language teaching, particularly in terms of what it is and what it's not. So it's going to address some myths associated with CLT, communicative language teaching. Let's start by talking about what it is. Communicative language teaching is really an umbrella term at this point, and this is what makes it so hard to define. It is not a monolithic approach, and even though not everybody identifies with CLT, they may identify with approaches that you could say fall under communicative language teaching methods, such as task-based, content-based, comprehension-based, etc. The author of this article distinguishes between a strong and a weak version of CLT. The strong version of CLT, you could say, is closer to content-based, whereas the weak version of CLT is more focused on form, but there's still some communicative practice integrated in it. And it is a continuum. It's not that you have to either do strong or weak. It's not a dichotomy. And to better understand what communicative language teaching is, we need to understand where it comes from. Essentially, it is a reaction to the structural syllabus that dominated the grammar translation approaches. Our views on how languages are acquired have evolved, and now we know that we acquire a language through meaningful engagement with the language as opposed to learning about the language and then practicing. There are two hypotheses in particular that are key to shaping what we know as communicative language teaching. One of them is Krashen's input hypothesis. The other one is Long's interaction hypothesis. There are many more, but the author of this article only talks about Krashen's and Long's hypotheses. And what's interesting about the fact that the author includes these two hypotheses is that Krashen and Long had different views when it came to focus on form. And I think precisely because these two hypotheses play a role in CLT, and yet they view form-focused instruction in very different ways, this is why we end up with so many different versions of communicative language teaching, or why educators implement communicative language teaching so differently from one another. A lot of misconceptions about communicative language teaching are indeed rooted in the fact that these two hypotheses view form-focused instruction so differently. And the author of this article outlines the following misconceptions about CLT. Number one, CLT only focuses on meaning. There's no focus on form. There's no focus on grammar. There are no explicit corrections. Number two, it's all about the learners. It is learner-centered as opposed to teacher-centered. Number three, it focuses on listening and speaking. So it's about oral language as opposed to written language. And the last myth is that only the target language is used in class. 
by everybody, the teachers and the students. Those are all misconceptions, misunderstandings, things that people think CLT is all about, but the author wants to address and clarify these myths or these misconceptions. Let's start with the first two. Myth number one and myth number two are all about the issue of focus on form. The author is saying that it's not a matter of if we should be focusing on form, but how we should be focusing on form. And myth number two in particular is about error correction. And this is probably one of the biggest misconceptions about CLT, that you never correct anybody. Well, the author says that it's okay as long as we are still focusing on communicating. For example, a recast where the teacher provides a reformulation on what the student said could be one technique, one strategy to provide corrections. So it's not about all or nothing. It's not about either form or meaning. It's just a matter of how we're going about it and what we are prioritizing. So if we're still prioritizing successful communication, then there is a place for form-focused instruction. And in this quote, the author summarizes it best. It says, CLT was not conceptualized as an approach that was intended to exclude form, but rather one that was intended to include communication. The author also adds, and I quote, the research today supports the advantages of a balance of form and meaning in L2 classrooms. It will take time to discover more precisely what that balance is. And there's the fine print, right? That is what has driven so much research on focus on form. To what extent is it beneficial? And when we say beneficial, what do we mean by it? It's good for what? Okay, let's tackle the next two myths, myth number three and number four. One of the myths was that CLT is all about being learner-centered, the teacher plays a minor role, and the other myth is that it's all about listening and talking. This, once again, comes from a pendulum swing, a reaction to the grammar translation and the audiolingual methods. Grammar translation was very much about writing and writing accurately. Audiolingual methods were about individuals listening and repeating. Very little learner-initiated interaction, almost no creating with language. So the pendulum swing was to say learners need to be more in charge and it needs to be more about communicating orally. And I guess we could blame the interaction hypothesis for this myth to some extent. The interaction hypothesis is very much about interacting orally. However, the author of this article makes it a point to highlight that comprehension is also communication and reading is definitely part of CLT. Written texts are a part of CLT. So we cannot forget the importance of reading and writing for language development. And it's definitely time to move away from equating communication with talking. And the last myth is a controversial one, and it has to do with the use of the learner's first language or the shared language other than the target language in the classroom. 
the myth is that in a communicative language teaching classroom, we must keep it all in the target language. The author of this article says that it is not true in recognizing the importance of the target language and the importance of input in the target language doesn't mean that we need to ban or forbid any other languages in the classroom. But the fine print here is that it depends on the context. And I'm just going to put this quote out there. Not everybody's going to agree with it, but this is what the author has to say. In foreign language settings, where the learner's exposure to the target language is restricted to the classroom, it is advisable to maximize target language exposure and minimize L1 use. For minority language learners who are at risk of losing their L1 as the mainstream into the majority language and culture, maximizing opportunities for L1 use as a basis for L2 learning is recommended. So the author of this article is distinguishing between students who may have access to the language outside of the classroom versus students who primarily access the target language in the classroom. When the students do not have access to the target language anywhere else except in our classrooms, then I think it's perfectly valid to wonder how we can maximize target language exposure and not fall into the slippery slope of imposing monolingualism. These terms such as maximize target language exposure, minimize L1 use, could be interpreted in many different ways. What does it really mean to minimize L1 use? The article concludes with a brief discussion on the post-method pedagogy movement. And this discussion revolves around the questions of whether we should still be using the term communicative language teaching. Since right now, when someone says, I follow communicative language teaching, you cannot really picture what that person is envisioning because it means so many different things to so many different people. And also, should we still even be talking about methods? Well, the author answers that last question with this quote. The concept of method is not the problem, but rather how it is used. And she then adds, and I quote, methods should not be understood as prescriptions for classroom behavior and imposed on teachers as a strict set of procedures to follow. And so the takeaway for me is principles over labels. It is important that our teaching be guided by principles of language acquisition and for us to understand why certain things contribute to language development and others may not. That to me is much more important than a label, whether it is CLT, TBLT, CI, etc. After all, labels are meaningless if we cannot justify why we do what we do. That's just my take on it. I encourage you to read the article for yourself and draw your own conclusions. Thank you for tuning in and until next time.